I've titled A Charter for the Church. If you've been around churches, especially Baptist churches long, I'm sure you've heard of the Great Commission, and you've probably heard a few things said about it. That's where we're at this morning in Matthew 28, the passage known to so many of us as the Great Commission. And uh, it's my argument today that these verses are a charter for the church. Now, what's a charter? A charter is a document issued by a sovereign power outlining the conditions under which a body is organized, and it defines therein the rights and the privileges of that body. So, for example, the United States Constitution is a charter for our country. Listen to what the opening words of the U.S. Constitution says. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, to establish justice, to ensure domestic tranquility, to provide for the common defense and promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and to our posterity, we do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. And of course, the document goes on, but you understand a charter is an official document that says what something is, why it is, what it intends to do, and who gave it the right to be what it is. And so I want to talk a little bit this morning about the church and use this passage as a charter for the church. Look with me at Matthew 28. We'll begin reading in verse 16, which sets the stage, and then Jesus will begin speaking in verse number 18. The Word of God says this in verse 16. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, all right, let me read in between the lines a little here. Now that he was resurrected, right? They knew he had died. When they saw him now alive again, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And so Jesus came and he said to them, here is our charter. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is God's word for us today. And all God's people said together, Amen. Amen. Let me share with you this morning three words that express for us the conditions under which the church of Jesus is organized. Three words that describe our charter. Three words taken here from this passage. These three words are intended to teach us today. They are intended to encourage us today. And they are intended to empower us. Here's the first word. Authority. Authority. Why do we exist as a church? Because Jesus said we could. Right? Jesus had all authority in heaven and on earth. This is for us a word of empowerment. With his word of authority, Jesus gives us license to do what we need to do in order to live the life that he's called us to live. 
we have a certain authority to be the church of Jesus Christ. I want to say a few words about this authority taken from the text. Number one, it's a comprehensive authority. That means it applies to everything. The word comprehensive leaves nothing out. Jesus said, I've got a lot of authority. Jesus said, I've got most authority. No, Jesus said, I have all authority. I'm about to tell you to do something. This is Jesus' reasoning. It's very important. It's not always going to be easy. But I want you to know, when you go out to do what I'm about to tell you to do, you have all authority to go out and do it. All authority. There's nothing outside the authority of Jesus Christ. Any person, any place, any era, whatever you can point to, if you can ask the question of it, is Jesus in charge of that? The answer is yes. Because he has all authority. One theologian of another generation said, there's not one square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Jesus Christ, who's Lord over all, does not exclaim, mine. He's got all authority. In one of the great visions of our Old Testament prophets, a vision of the prophet Daniel, listen to these words describing the authority of Jesus Christ. Daniel 7, verse 13 and following, the prophet said, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and he was presented before him and to him, Okay, this one like a son of man. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is a word before Jesus would come to the earth before Jesus would die, before by his vindication he would live again. But this word expresses the same truth, that Jesus has all authority, all authority. Jesus is the God-man, the uniter of heaven and earth. He left heaven, he came to earth, in doing so, setting aside some of the divine prerogatives in order to fully humble himself and take on flesh. He submitted himself to the Father in everything, living perfectly, dying sacrificially, and in his resurrection he was vindicated. And now he is no longer some traveler across heaven and earth's divide, but he has united the two spheres in himself, fully God, fully human, and thus all authority in both heaven and earth has been joined together, given to him. Jesus has a comprehensive authority. And so what he'll say that follows after the establishment of this authority, it comes to us in such a way that it could come with no greater force than that with which he gives it. It's a comprehensive authority. Notice also about this authority, it's a commissioning authority. All right, we haven't got that far yet in the passage, but we all know what Jesus is about to say. Okay, he's going to use this authority to look at his apostles and he said, all right, now I want you to go make 
disciples. It's an authority intended to get us to go and tell others about Jesus. And so as you think about Jesus, uniter of heaven and earth, all authority belonging to him, Jesus says to you today, to you today, go, go, tell somebody about Jesus. Help somebody take their next step closer to him. If you're here this morning and there's no missionary impulse in your life, if you're here today and and the thought of telling another person about Jesus seems something that might as well be a million miles away, please hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, not the suggester Jesus Christ, but the Lord with all authority as he says, go, Go, tell somebody about Jesus. Do you know for thousands of years, though often strong and thriving, the Jewish faith never really had a missions department. They never did. Their goal, it seemed, was to simply stay and protect the Holy Land and witness to their faith in Yahweh, invite the nations perhaps to come to them. If you'd like to come and be a God-fearer alongside of us, that's fine, but we're just here to worship. Israel had no missions department, but Jesus says, with all authority, no longer, now we take the message to the world. There is a line however thin, however invisible, that exists between you and the people in your life who are far from God, who don't go to church, who don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. This is Jesus saying, you have my permission to cross that line. You have that authority. You can go there. It's as if we look at other people's lives sometimes and we say, well, I can't bring that up with them. You know, that's too personal. I don't want to offend them. That's that part of their life. And I've got my, Jesus here gives us a search warrant, okay? With all the authority that comes with it. He says, you have permission to go there to cross that line. It's a, in that sense, commissioning authority. What else can we say? One final thing we'll say about the authority that Jesus has. It's a converting authority. Early in Jesus's ministry, this story is recounted in Matthew 9 and Mark chapter 2, but Jesus looks at a young man who was paralyzed and he says to him, get up, rise and walk. Your sins are forgiven you. That's quite a thing to say to somebody who's paralyzed. Well, there were some onlookers, some naysayers, and they started reasoning among themselves. And they said, who does this Jesus think that he is, that he can just tell people that their sins are forgiven? And and so they asked Jesus, hey, on what authority are you pronouncing the forgiveness of these people's sins? I wish they could see what Jesus is saying now, because he would have said, all authority. All authority. He goes on to explain to them the Son of Man, in fact, has the authority to forgive sins. And it's an authority that he gives to his church. Every time you tell somebody that Jesus can forgive them of their sins, listen, you're not just speaking to people's emotions. You're not just trying to make people who've done wrong things feel a little bit better. God has given you the authority to offer that forgiveness, and it comes through the authority of Jesus Christ. This morning, we're looking at three words that describe for us the charter 
of the church. Here's the second word. The first word's authority. The second word is the word mission. Mission. If the first word was a word of empowerment, this second word is a word of employment. Jesus gives us a job in this passage. It's not just a job for preachers or overseas missionaries. It's not just a job for camp counselors or Sunday school teachers. It's the job for every single child of God. It's your job. It's our mission. Jesus says with all authority, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And he gives us some explanation along the way as to how we do that and what sort of elements will be involved in the process. Speaking of baptism and of teaching, Jesus here gives us a job. This passage speaks of one of the great purposes of your life to tell other people about Jesus. Now, if you're here this morning and you, and you think to yourself inwardly, I don't really ever tell people about Jesus. Well, let me be, let me be blunt. You're missing out on one of the great purposes of your life to witness to the great reality that Jesus is alive, that he's real, that he's personal, that he forgives people of their sins. This part of our passage begins with this simple word, the word go. Go! I wonder if Jesus ever wants to talk to us like sometimes I talk to my kids. I have three little ones and you take, you take any one of them by themselves, and they're, and they're pretty manageable, but you put them together, they all start conspiring against you and things get out of hand real quick, right? And so sometimes I'll tell my kids, hey, I need you to go clean your room. And they're just sort of twiddling their thumbs thinking, yeah, he said those sorts of things before. Just wait a minute. He'll forget about it. And I say, no, go clean your room. Well, eventually I get frustrated and I realize, you know, it's been 10 minutes and they haven't done what I've told them. And so daddy gets frustrated and I say, hey, go. You ever wonder if Jesus feels that way about his church? I told y'all to go make disciples. Tell people about me. Live a life that, of, of grace and, and beauty and forgiveness and purpose. Let other people see that and, and see what you have and want some of that too. Go. That, the word go here is a command, right? We're supposed to go in, in the sense that if we don't, we're being disobedient. The word go is an encouragement to us. It's kind of like, come on, go. You can do this. You got this. Go. Tell folks about me. It's also a reminder. If we can see behind the grammar of this verb to go, the idea is, all right, now as you're going, right? As you're out in your life, as you go to work, as you walk through your neighborhood, as you deal with, with businesses or services in your community and you meet new people, as you're doing this, those things, think about making disciples. Listen, when you run into a new person, and, and they introduce themselves to you. I hope one of the things that will come through your mind as you meet this person, you think, I wonder, do they know Jesus? We don't mean that at all from a position of superiority. Listen, we, we ain't no better than they are. We're just more blessed than they are because Jesus has had mercy on us. Does that person know Jesus? Is there a way that I can share him with them? That ought to be a goal with every single person that we meet. A few things I want to say about this mission Jesus gives us. Number one, it's a disciple-making mission, right? Jesus didn't say, go and evangelize. Although, if you understand the terminology there, evangelism is involved, sure. 
He said, go and make disciples. Jesus didn't say go and rally together as many converts as possible so that your numbers will swell and at least temporarily people will be impressed. No, he says, go and make disciples. Christianity is more than just a conversion experience. It's a life. It's a commitment. It's an experience. A disciple is someone who's been saved by Jesus and somebody who's growing in their walk with the Lord. I heard one preacher say years ago, your grow will never be bigger than your go. So go. It's a disciple-making mission. It's also a church-building mission. Once when Jesus was with his disciples, before this was before his crucifixion, Jesus asked them, who do people say that I am? He knew that there were a lot of people in the community talking about him. Jesus was doing some different things. He was building quite a reputation for himself. And, and depending on the crowd, it could have been perceived as good or bad. He said, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some, some people think maybe you're the reincarnation of some Old Testament prophet, come back to give us a message from God. He said, yeah, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, always the one to speak up, Peter said, you are the Christ. The long anticipated deliverer of the people of God. That's what Christ means. The same word as Messiah, just a different language. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus responded to that. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. It's a promise, a promise. Jesus will build his church. Our mission is a church-building mission. For every person that we tell about Jesus, the goal is that they would be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And by so being, they would associate themselves, be welcomed into the family, a mutual recognition on their part, on the church body's part. Yes, God has done a work in them. They've confessed Jesus is the Christ. They believe in him. Welcome to the family. The mission is also, we'll say it this way, a life-changing mission. Church building, yes, but life-changing mission. Would you notice something Jesus said? Right, he says, go make disciples, baptize them, and he says, teach them. You know, for many years I heard that phrase and I was like, well, that means Bible teaching, preaching, Bible study. Sure, we want to learn things about God's word and we hope that they help our lives. But that's not all that Jesus said. When Jesus here gives his charter for the church, notice the words. He says, go therefore... Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Look at verse 20. Teaching them to do what? Right? He doesn't just say teaching them stuff, content, lessons. No, he says teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. The teaching is not just for head knowledge. The teaching is for life change, to observe, to obey, to be changed. Changed lives is what we are off, uh, what we are after. And so, listen, as you are out going, seeking to make disciples, maybe you can be a person who helps others take their next step closer to Jesus, whatever that may be. You got to get to know them a little bit. But as they do that, we're teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. Will you notice with me the last word this morning? 
We've looked at authority. We've looked at mission. The last word is the word promise. And really, upon these three words, we can, we can hang the constitution of Jesus' church. He gave us his authority. He gave us his mission. And then notice the promise that he gave us. He said, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is an encouraging word, an encouraging word. What does Jesus promise here? Primarily, he promises his presence. I love the word behold in this passage. Jesus says, behold, I am with you always. It's almost as though it's a reminder to us. Hey, as you're living your life, when you get busy, when you get stressed, when you get bored, when you get derailed or, or sidetracked, you're going to need to behold something. You're going to need to look back. You're going to be needed. You're going to need someone to tell you and remind you, hey, don't forget this. Jesus is always with us. He's always there. And brother, sister, let me tell you, if you're on mission for Jesus Christ, you're going to need this reminder because it's not always easy. Right? As we're trying to go, as we're trying to make disciples, sometimes we're up against some, some really formidable obstacles. And here Jesus says, but don't forget, I promise you, I will always be with you. One young Scottish pastor many years ago said, if I could hear Jesus praying for me as if he were in the next room, if I could hear him praying for me, I would not fear a million enemies. And yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. You have his presence with you today. His presence as we seek to be on mission. Not only was this a promise of his presence, it's a promise of his power also. Right? The authority that's referred to um, earlier in our passage up in verse 18, it's not just an authority to say we can do, but it's also an authority of, of power. It, there's a certain um, dynamic quality to the authority. In fact, when Jesus' great commission is articulated in the first chapter of Acts, listen to the way the, that version of this account reads. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, you will receive power. Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Power for witness. Power for the mission. Not only that, but the promise is a promise of permanence. Notice the final words of our passage today. How long will this be the case? Right? How long will we have the authority to do what he's called us to do? How long will our mission last? How long will his presence be with us? Jesus says, even to the end of the age. Always. Always. Dear church family, if only we could sense how heartfelt, how deep, and how meaningful this mission is that Jesus has given us. It's not to be an auxiliary part of our life. It's to be a central part of our life. And my hope for you today is that when you leave this sanctuary, somewhere in your heart where only you and God can go, the Holy Spirit touches you and reminds you of your great mission to tell other people about Jesus. When I was a little boy, my family traveled to visit an uncle 
And uh, he lived in Baltimore at the time. But I remember while we were there, we visited a lot of the historical sites in Washington, D.C., uh, D.C., which is, of course, not very far from Baltimore. And one of the more memorable spots that we visited was the Arlington National Cemetery. And while we were there, of course, we went and we observed the changing of the guards at what's known as the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Can I say just a word about the changing of the guards for a moment? The Tomb of the Unknown Soldier is a monument dedicated to American service members who have died and whose remains have never been identified. And there on the tomb are these words, here rests in honored glory an American soldier known only to God. This particular location has been guarded nonstop, 24 hours a day, seven days a week since July the 2nd. 1937. The Tomb Guards, a special platoon within the 3rd U.S. Infantry Regiment, what's called the Old Guard, work on a team rotation of 24 hours on, 24 hours off for five days, and then they take the following four days off. A guard takes, on average, six hours to prepare his uniform for their shift heavy wool, regardless of the time of year. In addition to preparing the uniform, guards also conduct physical training, tomb guard training, participate in field exercises, and they always cut their hair before the next work day. Tomb guards are required to memorize 16 pages of information about the National Cemetery and the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier including the locations of 300 graves and who is buried in each one. The changing of the guard is very symbolic. The outgoing guard shares the orders with the incoming guard with this phrase, post and orders remain as directed. The incoming guard simply replies, orders acknowledged. Jesus has given us a post. It's right here. Jesus has given us orders. Go and make disciples. The post and orders remain as directed. Today, your Lord and Savior Jesus wants to hear you say, orders acknowledged. Church family, we have a mission. If you're on mission, may today be a shot in the arm, a boost to you to say, keep at it, brother or sister. Yes, this is what I believe in. This is my mission. However, if you sense that your personal involvement in the mission has waned over the years, today is maybe the best opportunity you'll ever get to be reminded of that mission, to rededicate yourself to that mission. God's got you on this planet for a reason. I can tell you for sure what one of the most important reasons is. 
He wants, he wants you to tell somebody about Jesus. Why don't you bow your heads with me today? While your heads are bowed, would you just take a moment in your heart and acknowledge the mission that Jesus has given to us? While your heads are bowed, would you ask yourself a question? How can I help someone else take their next step closer to Jesus? How can I do that? As you ask that question, maybe someone comes to mind. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's an employee. Maybe it's somebody you do business with and you know you see them every few weeks. During our time of invitation today, what I'd like for you, if someone comes to mind that you can help take their next step closer to Jesus, I want you to just commit yourself to pray, God, I want to be on mission. Here's this person. Here's my mission. Help me to love them. Help me to portray Jesus to them effectively. God, help me to help them take their next step. Whoever that is, would you commit this invitation time to praying for that person and your mission regarding them? If you're here this morning and you've never given your heart to Jesus, let me tell you something. Jesus knows exactly who you are and he loves you more than you could ever imagine. Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. And if you'll repent of your sins and place your faith in him, he will save you today and that'll last forever. If you'd like to give your heart to Jesus today, in just a moment, after I pray, we're all going to stand. And some people will come to the front. They may spend some moments in prayer. If you'd like to give your heart to Jesus today, I want you to come see me. I want to talk with you. But I'd love to begin that conversation with you about how Jesus can change your life and save you from your sins. We've all got a mission. Let's spend these next few moments rededicating ourselves to the mission. Father in heaven, we ask for your blessing during this time of rededication and commitment. Lord, may our hearts be touched by the power of your Holy Spirit that we might remember to make disciples. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me invite you to stand. Our altars are open. You come if the Lord's touched your heart. If you have somebody you want to pray for, you come and you pray. Use this time. This is your invitation. If you're here this morning, you need to give your heart to Jesus. You come. Come and see me. You come as the Lord leads.